Welcome to Found in Space, a science podcast for kids and teens. Ellis would like to know, what is an ultra-massive black hole and how are they found? Ellis, thank you. This is a fantastic question. It's a two-parter. And that second part is really interesting. So let's start with, okay, a black hole and an ultra-massive black hole. What is that? So mass is how much of something there is. And when we talk about things in space, we talk about how much mass they have. This is really important because it'll help us figure out what they are. Something that doesn't have a lot of mass might be an asteroid or a comet. Something with a lot more mass than that might end up being a planet. Even more, we get to stars. And more and more, we start getting into the realm of black holes. So when we talk about how much mass something has, the numbers are huge when we think about that in kilos. So we usually compare it to something a little bit more familiar. For planets, we will compare the mass of exoplanets to either Earth or Jupiter's mass. And when we talk about stars and black holes, we compare that mass to the sun's mass. So we use one solar mass as our unit. So some stars have half the mass of the sun. We'd say they're 0.5 solar masses. Some stars are 20 times as massive. They have 20 times as much stuff as the sun. So that's 20 solar masses. Now, mass and size are not the same thing. We have to be careful with the way that we talk about it because size is how much space that stuff takes up. So you could have something that doesn't have very much stuff in it, but takes up a lot of space, like a box full of packing peanuts, right? Of styrofoam packing peanuts. There's not much stuff in it, but it takes up a lot of space. But you could also have a lead ball. That would be very massive, but also quite small. So the trick about black holes is that they are areas in space-time where there is so much mass squeezed into such a small space that the space around it, the universe around it, curves and warps. Because the more mass, the more density, that's what we're talking about with how much mass you have and how much space, the more dense something is, the stronger and stronger the gravity is. So that's why on Earth, there's way more mass there's, it's, than there is on the moon. So we feel much more gravity on Earth than we do on the moon. Or if we were somehow able to stand on the sun without burning up, then the gravity would be really strong. But for a black hole, the gravity is so, so strong because it is so, so dense. It has so much mass squeezed into a small area that the gravity is too strong for even light to escape it. So that's a black hole. And normal black holes, we call stellar black holes. These are made when really massive stars 
usually more than 20 times the mass of the sun, so 20 solar masses, when they die and they implode on each other, on themselves, they fall in, they crash in, and then a supernova happens, right? But at the center, what's left behind is a black hole. So that's a stellar black hole. But then we have supermassive black holes. So supermassive black holes are black holes with a lot of mass. So instead of being just a few solar masses, they are millions or sometimes billions of times the mass. And we usually find them in the center of galaxies. But what about an ultramassive black hole? Well, an ultramassive black hole is really a type of supermassive black hole that has tens of billions of solar masses. When we say something has tens of, what does that mean? Let's think about numbers for a moment, right? So we have our normal, we start with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then we get to 10. But when we get to 20, 20 just means two tens, right? 30 is three tens. 40 is four tens. So those would be tens, right? So if I had 40 billion of something, then I'd have tens of billions. So a tens could be anywhere from 10 up to 99, right? That would be tens of. So these ultramassive black holes have tens of billions of solar masses. And we don't really understand yet how those objects formed. We have some ideas. We think that maybe they're the merger of literally billions of other smaller black holes or less massive black holes. Maybe they formed at the beginning of the universe. Maybe they just formed from that there was just randomly more stuff there when the universe started expanding. We really aren't sure yet, but we do know that we find them at the center of galaxies. So one example, probably the most famous, is Tun 618. And this black hole may have 66 billion, with a B, billion solar masses. This is ginormous. It's monstrously huge. Now, how do we know this? How do we find these things? So this is the second part of the question here, which is how are they found? Well, we're finding them in the center of galaxies. So the first thing we can do is we can find a galaxy, which we find with a telescope, right? And then we look at the center of that galaxy. The farther back in time that we, the farther away we go and the further back in time we go, the more what we call quasars we find. So a quasar is this really energetic, bright area that is powered by a supermassive black hole. So sometimes, like with Tun 618, it's just giving off huge amounts of energy. So we take our telescopes and we look for points of light in the sky that have a whole bunch of X-rays coming from it or gamma rays or things like that, where there's just all of this light, really, really bright coming from the spot. Now, down here on Earth, we're not going to see it because we're, uh, we're protected by the Earth's atmosphere. But up in space, with our real big telescopes, we can just scan across the sky and look for these quasars. Now, if we find a quasar, not all 
supermassive or ultramassive black holes necessarily are going to have quasars associated with them, especially the ones that are closer to us, because there don't seem to be as many quasars in today's universe as there used to be in the distant past. Remember, the farther away we look, the further back in time we're looking. So one of the things we can do is we can look at how the things in the galaxy are moving around, how they're orbiting around the black hole. And by studying the movement of the stars near the black hole, we can start to calculate and figure out how massive it has to be. Because the more mass, the more it's going to be warping, the more it's going to be curving space-time. So it's actually quite tricky. And we have to be very, very careful with our calculations. And sometimes we have to come back and redo our calculations. Once we've made new observations, we come back and go, okay, did we make a mistake? Let's look again. So sometimes you'll hear changes in numbers where you might hear the number where someone says, oh, ton 618 is 40 billion solar masses. And then you might hear another number that says ton 618 18 is 66 billion masses. And a lot of that is just going to come from scientists redoing those calculations to try and make sure that they are as correct as they can be. That's what we're doing in science. We're always trying to get closer and closer to the truth. And realizing that we've made a mistake is not a bad thing because mistakes always happen. Humans make mistakes. Computers make mistakes. Mistakes happen. But being able to recognize that a mistake happened, accept it, not take it personally, and actually see it as a good thing. Oh, wow, we found this mistake. Great, now we can correct it. Now let's find the answer to it. That is a really important skill for scientists and just in general, right? Being able to correct our mistakes and recognize them. All right, thank you so much, Ellis, for a, another fantastic question. And all of you listening and enjoying the podcast, learning about space and STEM together, we have quite a few topics from all of you coming up. We've been getting some great questions, and I appreciate your patience with us getting to it. I'm, I'm writing down all of your questions, and we've got a lot of really cool ones, especially a lot of black hole questions coming up in the next few weeks. And if any else Anyone else here has questions that you would like us to talk about on the podcast, don't hesitate to have your folks send it into the email. As always, my friends, I hope you have dark skies and remember to stay curious.